Hey everybody, I'm Mike Yeager, and I want to thank you for checking us out. Welcome to Vessel. We're so excited to get things rolling here in Meadows Place. It has been a blast so far. If you're in the Meadows or nearby in Southwest Houston or Fort Bend County, Stafford, we would love to meet you. Or if you know anyone in the area searching for a Christian community that is Jesus-centered, justice-minded, and a safe and inclusive place for all people. We are gathering regularly through the fall during this initial planting season and invite you to join us on this shared journey of healing and hope. Here's the message from this weekend, and we pray it is a blessing to you. So quick introduction uh, for those of you with whom I have not interacted at length. Uh, I'm Mike Yeager. Uh, my family and I live right here in Meadows Place, and I would love to be your pastor, uh, which is not to say that I ever presume to have all the answers or in any way claim an elevated status or authority. Uh, in the words of Tim Mori, an experienced church planter and one of my uh, professors at Fuller Seminary, he said that the pastor is not an exalted member of the community. He or she is merely one more member of the body who happens to have been gifted and given responsibility to lead, teach, to shepherd. So what I will do, what I will commit to do with my full energy is to be a safe place of care and prayer, to help support and guide you in discerning how God is uniquely forming you in and through your story, in and through your calling. And I will remind you of, at every opportunity of the few things that I do know with certainty, most chiefly that you are loved, fully and completely, exactly as you are, no matter how distant God may seem or how removed you may feel in a season. And that love, God's love, extended to us in its purest sacrificial form through Jesus' death on the cross, it invites us to see and experience and live into a new world, a new reality, a resurrection life in which death no longer has the final word, a new covenant in which we awaken to the truth that we belong not because of our own efforts or our own self assumed righteousness or piety, purity, or our, our strict adherence to some bygone law. Now, we, we belong solely on the basis that our Lord has claimed us and by His grace declared it so. It's not a status to be earned. It's a gift to be joyfully, grateful, re gratefully received. And in doing so, we experience a new freedom from the clutches of sin and death and liberated into the light of the new and enduring law, which is love. That's the gospel. And like you, I live into that vision really poorly a lot of the time. But day by day, with grace, I'm trying. And so that's who I am. I, I love movies. If, if you can't find me, chances are very good I'm at the AMC at Fountains. And I always need like a buddy, so you can come with me. Uh, I love my hometown, Denver Nuggets. Excuse me, I meant to say NBA champion, Denver Nuggets. And I will talk your ear off about either topic if given half a chance. Uh, you also get to know my wife, Lauren, if you have not already met, who is a friend and partner and mom. Beyond compare, I can never look at you when I'm doing this. It's terrible. Um, she's a regional director of uh, business operations for Memorial Hermann Medical Group. We are inching closer to our 15th anniversary in January. Uh, and it's not going to take long talking to her to realize why she's the better half of the equation. Our kids, Miles and Mara, 
are right here. Miles just turned 10, Mara just turned 8, with the scrum at the back. And we're so uh, joyfully glad to have our kids here and yours together to participate, to play, to create. I want you to hear clearly that theirs are the open spirits that we seek to emulate. And so our kids are never a, a distraction or a burden. Uh, they are a reminder at times only that I need to get to the point faster. So I will seek to do that. Uh, so why Vessel? Simply put, because the church, you might say, should be a place of mending and sending. And for those of you who attended the launch event, some of this is going to be repeating, I hope, things that bear repeating. But it's meant to evoke the, the image of the Japanese art of kintsugi, right? The, these broken fragments of pottery bonded back together with a golden lacquer. And so what could easily have been just tossed aside, discarded, becomes instead a tactile proclamation of beauty and healing. We hear about it in 2 Corinthians 4. It tells us that we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power comes from God and does not come from us. And so we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but we are not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. We are, each of us, molded vessels, held and mended by the hands that made us, made to be filled and then made to be lovingly poured out in service to others. God's grace and goodness shining through all of these broken places. And vessel can also be a, a seafaring craft. Right? We're on this shared voyage together in this life and season, born into a particular time and called to a particular place, navigating off in turbulent waters and trusting the helm to the one who knows the destination. Or you may even think of the, the vessels in our in our bodies, in which the source of our very lifeblood literally circulates. So the church has historically been the place in which followers of Jesus have come to commune, to worship, to serve, to, to grow in the bonds of fellowship, to be refined by God's word, to pray together for God's guidance, to generously care for the poor and the marginalized, to, to become a sanctuary for the hurting and the outcast, or in summation, to faithfully set about the work of becoming and making disciples of Jesus. What, what will always be for us a work in progress. We never arrive. But it's not a country club. It's not some kind of isolated refuge from the world. The church exists as a way station to remind us who we are and whose we are. That we belong to one God as one people. And then send us right back into the world renewed to be instruments of the same love and healing, the same unmerited grace that we have received. It's not a building, it's a people. And so here's where you all come in, I hope. Roughly every month, we'll gather in a space like this for a full liturgy service. You can save the date now for the next one. So we'll be on September 10th. Uh, we don't have a location right now. So we're really going to test the, the theory that this is indeed a people and not a place. I've already got the community center uh, reserved for our uh, next meeting after that on October 1st. So every third week we'll kind of gather in a rhythm. It won't always be necessarily at the community center, but these will be opportunities to, 
to, to worship together and to bring others in to what we hope to build. And in the weeks between, we'll be cultivating a number of opportunities to share meals and we'll share stories and pray together and grow in attentiveness uh, and a responsiveness to the needs of our neighbors and the wider context we inhabit. We'll serve together and pray and play and celebrate and mourn. And this is not a novel idea, but this is how the fledgling community, what, what early followers of Jesus simply called the way, how it began in Acts 2. We hear how they went about this early community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed together had all things in common. They they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so that's the thing about communities of of mutuality, of gratitude, of, of gladness and goodwill. They tend to be magnetic, but numbers are not the goal. And we'll certainly spend more time unpacking these down the line. But if I might suggest some core values as a point of departure, ones that that spiritually form us toward transformation, toward growth, a a broadening and a deepening, not only in our own homes and relationships, but in all the various spheres we inhabit individually, collectively. So what does it look like for us to be a people shaped by collaboration, where we see the beauty of diversity and the beauty of of, uh, creativity that each and every one of us has this distinct part of the body and are given this unique blessedness according to the gifts of God. And we are better together when we're working in unison. We want to be a people of humility, of recognizing the limitations of our blind spots, of our perspectives. There are certain things that I I cannot understand in the same way as a straight, cisgender, Caucasian male. That I cannot... Assume my experience of being in the world, of being in a human body to be somehow normative. So I need the wisdom of others, of other insights, other vantage points, other perspectives that give us a fuller picture of what God is doing in the world and in our midst. We want to be a people of authenticity in which we will work very hard to establish trust, knowing how easy it is to lose, knowing how sacred it is to keep. And so that vulnerability can happen and we can share the fullness of our experience, but that happened in a context of safety, that our stories are sacred, our stories are not currency or somehow a uh, price of admission into a genuine community, which is why we're a people of nurturing, of mutual care, care and uplift, that we're being shaped not only by God's word, but not, and not only by the practice of these physical sacraments that, that embody our faith. But in spiritual contemplative practices, and we're learning from another, from one another, guiding, growing closer in relationship to each other and closer in relationship to God. And we are a people of generosity. It goes back to gratitude and trust that we are going to be holding open-handed all that comes in to this community 
placing a, a high value from the beginning on, on integrity and transparency, that you will know where the church's money is being used and, and the good that it is doing for our neighbors and beyond. And we want to be a people of empathy. And this kind of goes hand in hand with the, the humility piece. But it, it's, I believe, having a compassionate perspective of seeking to view life through the eyes of another. Or as Jesus tells us, when someone makes you walk a mile, go with them the second mile. That I am curi- curiously going to dig in to the experience of this person so I can more fully understand the unique challenges, the unique strengths and beauties, the, the unique harms that they may hold in their lives. If you haven't noticed, it's an acrostic of change, right? Which is super nerdy, but I find effective nonetheless. But we'll come back to that. But it's not about numerical growth. It's not about financial growth. It's about spiritual growth. And the breadth and the depth, it's about how our minds and our hearts and our homes more radiantly reflect the likeness of Christ, who is the perfect embodiment of all of these qualities and of our shared humanity. And so first service, first sermon, you might ask, like, opening the Bible, where does one begin? I had the same dilemma. Um, in this case, I let the common lectionary pick for me. So the lectionary is a calendar of scripture reading shared among a number of different traditions and denominations. That The goal being that the scattered body of Christ would be engaging with the same texts at the same time uh, within a, a diverse array of traditions and contexts. And so the gospel reading for this week happens to have come from Matthew 15. And it's actually a perfect entry point for what I hope you take away Today, and to set the scene, Jesus is in the midst of his ministry, and he's just fed the 5,000, walked on water, no big deal. And then while he was healing the sick in Gennesaret, he was approached by Pharisees and scribes who were questioning Jesus and the disciples for not properly washing their hands. What they felt was a, an intolerable flaunting of religious law. And the story goes that Jesus called the crowd to him. And said to them, listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. But it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. And then the disciples approached and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? Or are you you sure you don't want to dial it down? You're creating some potentially dangerous opposition. But Jesus answered. He said, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted, will be uprooted. Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus teaches about how a good tree cannot bear bad fruits. A bad tree cannot bear good fruits. Good trees bear good fruit, but the barren, the fruitless, they will be uprooted. And Jesus said, let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one person guides another, both will fall into a pit. False prophets will be exposed. Leave them be. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And Jesus responded, are are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? Are we all on the same page? Do I need to be any more detailed about how something enters the body? Okay, great. But Jesus says, what comes out of the mouth Proceeds from the hearts. And this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, 
Sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. And so many of us perhaps have spent time within communities or traditions that were hypervigilant. We're fear-mongering about the dangers of the, the secular world and culture. Secular being kind of a binary category that doesn't really exist, but that's a conversation for another day. But you were taught to avoid the, the corrosive influence of, of certain music or, or, or books or films or, or people, those people, the kind of company that would lead you astray, that would corrupt you. But here we see the kind of thing that made Jesus such a threat to the entrenched powers of empire and temple. He offers a direct counter-order. It's wisdom at polar odds with the Jewish tradition, at polar odds with the Mosaic law. And he urges them to consider that they're asking the wrong question. You're so consumed by what is going into your, your, your mouth, your body, your home, your community, all of the danger that lies out there. But do you show the same concern for what is coming out of it. Following me, Jesus is saying, is not about a list of rules to follow or boxes to check. I want more than obedience. I want your changed heart. And so if we honor God with our lips, only to then, then turn and, and quickly find that our thoughts and words toward others become diminishing, vilifying, demeaning, that's a heart issue. If our theology leads us toward prejudice, in callousness, combativeness, contempt, declaring an us and an other, building walls instead of lengthening tables. It's not an issue of their holiness. It's an issue of our heart. If our theology or assumed righteousness matters more than the person in front of us, who is to us the actual nearest embodiment of the image of Christ in that moment, then something within us desperately needs to repent. It's a turn. And we're living in an age, not there yet, we're living in an age of, of, of increasing isolation and dehumanization, disunity, distrust. And the American church is failing largely in its call to be a place of confession and listening and justice and reconciliation and, he and healing. Seek seeking unity and diversity is often the buzzword. And it is a worthy goal, though much more challenging in practice. What happens when we have competing convictions? Do we inevitably confront and divide, or do we press in with patience, with humility, with compassion, and discern how God is asking us to check the state of our own hearts? Because we're not building toward uniformity. We're not building toward sameness or even 100% agreement. We're building toward oneness. Because before any creedal documents were, were written up and debated and amended by councils of scribes and scholars and elders, the first Christian creeds, among the first Christian creeds, a shared commitment of the heart was not about professing some accepted nature of God or the specifics of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus or even anything specific that we were meant to do. But it told us really clearly who we were made to be with and for one another. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, 
we hear it this way, that now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be reckoned as righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subjects to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to this promise. And that is good news. There is no longer gay or straight. And I repent in my part in allowing the continuance of exclusionary practices in a prior church context. There is now no longer liberal or conservative. There is no longer rich or poor. There is no longer us or them. We belong to God who has entrusted us to one another, beloved, each and every one. And so the job of, of the, the pastor, the preacher, or as my friend Sean Palmer calls it, the, the charismatic task, he uses fancier words than I do, the gospel proclamation is to provoke an imagination of what can and we believe one day will be. Theologian Walter Brueggemann, he spoke about prophecy in similar terms, that we we paint the world as two images, the world as it is, framed beside the world as it might yet become, on earth as it is in heaven. So right now, I need to admit something. This is all talk. This is a vision of what could be. Living into that vision and committing to do it together will inevitably come with challenges. But I believe deeply that they will be the kinds of challenges that are beyond worth it because of the ways that God will meet us and challenge and reshape and renew us in the midst of it and bring blessing to the city and our neighbors through us. I also know that we will be better because... Of you. So once again, I extend my deepest gratitude that you are here. And I invite you to consider if this is indeed the kind of community that you want to be a part of. And I know that some of you are are here in support. I'm so grateful for you and are already uh, part of, of, of strong connections and communities. And I simply ask you to continue to be a part of building these kinds of bonds within your existing family. And if you have questions or concerns, let's talk. If you're in, I want you to make sure I have your information so so I can be in touch with you as, as we prepare to take some first steps together. As you depart, you'll find a QR code. It's on a little standee there on the counter. You can scan it, and you'll find Vessel Church HTX on an app called Church Center. And it's going to be a centralized place where we'll keep uh, upcoming group information, events. That's going to be the most kind of consolidated way to, to keep in touch with what's happening in the life of the community. But also the great thing is that the, the hope is that most of us are neighbors, quite literally, and are living on these same streets and walking our kids to school and being a part of uplift 
and support in one another's lives, in all of the joys and celebrations, in all of the trials and heartaches, we want to be doing life with you. And I invite you to be a part of that. So allow me to pray for us as we turn our attention to the table, the centerpiece of our gathering together as we receive communion as a family for the first time. So Lord God, the fruit of your enduring spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. May Vessel be now and always a place and a people in whom these fruits grow and multiply as we together seek your will. Guide us on a path of unity, hope, and shared purpose that leads to great transformation, that it all be to the glory and honor of your name. Amen.